Coast Church Charlotte. Make you aware of what is happening this month here at First Church. Uh, we are doing something I've wanted to do for a long time. I finally got my nerve up to do it. And so off we go. The whole month of February in our Wednesday night Bible study, we are going to be talking about love, marriage, and relationships for the whole month of February. And the lessons that are involved in that are not just lessons uh, for married couples, uh, but you will be reminded that the Bible repeatedly uses the lessons of uh, love to teach us about God, the heart of God. In fact, you, all of you, as the body of Christ, are referred to in the scripture as the bride, the bride of Christ. In fact, the lessons of love are so profound, I'm actually going to uh, preach about it today, but I want you to know the Lord took a whole book of the Bible and inspired it solely from the lessons of Valentine's Day type love. And we call that book the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. And so every Wednesday night, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, love, marriage, and relationships. I may preach most Sundays um, in that vein. I do not know, and I do not want to overcommit myself. But today, my title is Love and the Long Tomorrow. Love and uh, the Long Tomorrow. Uh, let's read together in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. I am going to read in the CEV version. You guys know I like to find the version that speaks to our modern hearing and helps with comprehension. So we are in CEV, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, verse number 8. It will be our starting place. Uh, praise the Lord, somebody. I feel like the Lord has something he would like to do in my heart here today, something he would like to do in your heart here today, wherever you're watching this from. I believe that in your living room, God can touch you and minister to you and strengthen you. And so when you see us worshiping, I want you to worship with us. When you see us praying, I want you to pray with us. Uh, God is here, yes, but he's also everywhere. And so I believe the Lord can work wherever you are. First Corinthians 13, verse number eight, love never fails. Somebody say that with me here today. Love never fails. Everyone who prophesies will stop and unknown languages will no longer be spoken. All that we know will be forgotten. We don't know everything and our prophecies are not complete, but what is perfect? Somebody say perfect. What is perfect will someday appear. And what isn't perfect will then disappear. When we were children, we thought and reasoned as children do. But when we grew up, we quit our childish ways. Now, all we can see of God is like a cloudy picture in a mirror. Later, we will see him face to face. We don't know everything, but then we will. Just as God completely understands us. For now, there are faith, hope, and love. But of these three, the greatest is love. 
Lord, I pray your word would live in this house for a little while. God, I pray that we would be moved in our spirit, challenged to walk in the spiritual way you have ordained for us to walk. I want to pray against a spiritual apathy that so often settles upon our modern minds. I want to pray against a spiritual apathy that keeps us from living a life of repentance and allows us to be satisfied with a form of devotion, a type of godliness. I'm praying today that there is not a pew in this house, there is not a seat in this house that does not have the unction and the utterance of your power upon it. Speak among us. Convict us, oh God. We repent of our sins. I wish someone could help me with that prayer right there. We repent of our sins here today. We desire the unction and the utterance of your spirit upon us and let the church say in Jesus' name. One more time before I preach, put your hands together and lift your voice in praise to God. We exalt you, O God. We magnify your holy, precious name. We bless you, Lord, today. We bless you, Lord, today. February is a month for lovers, and that is why uh, the flower cells in the month of February, mainly driven by Valentine's Day, of course, but the flower cells on in this month will be more than the rest of the year put together. Um, the dates taken will make restaurants uh, very difficult to get for the week of Valentine's Day. And if you uh, wait until Valentine's Day to try to get a reservation, I want you to know that your wife is going to give you that look. That look that says, you really didn't think this through, did you, buddy? That look that says, um, really, you waited till the last day. I'm just so glad I've never received that look in my life. It's just you carnal men who have ever received looks like that. Uh, we are made whole by the love story that is birthed within us and uh, the love story that is complete uh, through God's gift in our life. I want to take a moment and I want to speak to all of you who are single in the Lord and why uh, this subject can sometimes be a little bit awkward for you because we have in our church, we are blessed to have uh, some really, really amazing, anointed, uh, gifted, single adults who uh, are serving God. They're uh, a blessing to the kingdom of God. Everything they touch is uh, prospering, and I commend all of our singles here today who are serving the Lord in his body. Amen. Um, it would be easy for you to think this should not or does not apply to me, but I would suggest to you that if we could not learn spiritual truths through the teaching of even romantic love, the Bible would not repeatedly use the language of romantic love to teach us. So to all of our awesome singles who are here today, I want to remind you of what the Apostle Paul said 
And that is because you are able to wholly follow after the Lord, there is, let's be honest, this is not my opinion, this is a biblical opinion, there are some spiritual opportunities and some spiritual, shall we say, intimacy that is available to you that perhaps is less available to those of us more distracted uh, by, uh, how shall we say, the uh, marriage relationship, the dating relationship. That does not mean that when you find a spouse, it is not a good thing. Uh, Or if you find a spouse, uh, many of you aren't looking for a spouse. Uh, The last spouse you had cured you of that forever. like my wife always says, if anything happens to me, she's never getting married again, to which I always say, honey, has it been that bad? (laughs) Um, Whatever the case, I don't want you to feel like this doesn't apply to you. It very much applies uh, to you. But let's have some fun with the whole Valentine's Day thing here for a moment. I heard about a man who went in a bar on Valentine's Day and he ordered a drink and uh, he told the bartender, you know, I asked my wife what she wanted for Valentine's Day, and she said a divorce. And the bartender said, oh, really? Uh, Well, what did you do? What did you say in response? And the man says, well, I just told her I hadn't been planning on spending that much. Uh, And I love the other joke about a mother who hears her daughter um, crying in her room. She goes in to check on her daughter, and her daughter says, "Uh, it's Valentine's Day, and I don't have a boyfriend. I have uh, nobody who loves me. And her mother was trying to toughen her up a little bit and uh, get her out of this uh, melancholy uh, funk that she was in. And uh, she said, Mom, it's Valentine's Day. I have no one to love me. And Mom thought about it and said, cheer up, my dear. Today isn't the only day nobody loves you. Uh, So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun with Valentine's Day. Um, I want to talk a little bit about love, and I want to, in doing so, I want to show you something that is easily missed here in the chapter on love, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, which basically is a story about how love never fails. Everything that God is trying to do in you, through you, every act of spiritual completion uh, is going to happen in terms of divine love. And this chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, is this magnificent statement, almost uh, systematic theological statement on the power of love. This isn't the only place that love is presented this way. In fact, you will remember, if you think about it, the greatest commandment, which is what? To love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and what? Your neighbor as yourself, this vertical love relationship that is primary and first, which then allows something to happen, a horizontal love one to another. Jesus goes so far as to say, and this is not a small thing, 
that if you could get this right, if you could get this greatest commandment, it would bring a completion in you such to the point that it was as though you were on a spiritual mountaintop surveying all the land around you. It is almost as though prophecy wouldn't be needed if you could follow the greatest commandment. It's almost as though the law would not be necessary if you could do this. In fact, the Bible says all the law and all the prophet is prophets are what? Fulfilled in the greatest commandment, loving God and loving people. And so uh, this idea that love serves as a mountaintop of human potential, it serves as an apex of spiritual becoming. It, it serves as an apogee of our lives, the trajectory of our life as we become more like the Lord, our, uh, how shall we say, the rough soul within us, the, the bitterness that keeps us from living with an open heart to the people in our life begins to be healed by uh, the Lord. Let me, let me explain uh, this by telling you a story. I received a great gift when I was a very young man, uh, and that was in the form of a step-grandfather. My, my real grandfather on my mother's side had nothing to do with us kids whatsoever. Um, in the whole of my life, I have no memory of him ever sending a birthday present, a Christmas card, never calling, never visiting, zero interaction. And I didn't really know him, so I don't judge him for that. It's just from my perspective. Uh, but the Lord replaced that. And I just think that maybe I should say to all of you, if there's a hole in your life, if there's a brokenness in your life, and you feel a void within you, I want you to know God will fill that void within you, and he will knit you together with brothers and sisters of faith, spiritual mentors, where you are spiritually, emotionally richer than you ever would have been by what this world could give you. And can someone with a testimony of that say amen real loud? I had a grandfather who had nothing to do with us kids whatsoever. Uh, I have one memory of going to his house, and I remember he nodded at me, and that was the sum contribution of him in my life, which was fine because the Lord had a better plan. Uh, when my grandmother came here, uh, she was divorced. Uh, her second husband had died, and she was again both divorced and widowed. Um, we do not, any of us, desire divorce, but I should say, because I am a preacher of hope, grace, and gospel, I should say there is hope and promise and purpose even after divorce. There is hope, promise, and purpose even after the loss of a dearly beloved spouse. Uh, she came here broken in many ways, and the Lord made her whole by giving her a uh, husband and by giving me a grandpa. And his name was Gene Honeycutt. He was the blessing of God in my life. After he had been in my life for a few years, he told me the story of his growing up. And it broke my heart. At the time, I didn't really know how to appreciate it. But as I got older, I really understood it uh, better. And it broke my heart 
again. His story was like this. His, his father died when he was very young, and he lived in a house uh, with his mother. He was uh, the youngest one. The others had, uh, his brothers had already joined the military. It was just her, him, and his mother, and she passed away. He found her body, and um, he walked to town, and he told uh, the sheriff that his mother had died. And they came, and uh, they took her away, and he stayed around the house until the bank came and took the house. This would have been during the Depression. Uh, and then he had nowhere to go. He had no family to take him in. And he, tells the sto- he told me the story, and he did it without tears. He did it without any sentiment. He did it with a smile, and he did it simply by showing the grit that was part of his character. I pray all of us, uh, in spite of the blessings in our life, we learn how to live with some grit. And can I have some amen? Uh, he decided he would just go try to find some place to live. He told me this story with a smile and with telling jokes. And so he walked down the country road where he lived, and um, he they were sharecroppers out in the North, country, North Carolina countryside, um, down actually toward Rockingham, if I remember correctly. And he walked to the nearest town. This is during the Great Depression. And he asked the neighbors if he could live with them. This is a very different time than now. Uh, people were very, very hard. Uh, people did not have uh, uh, enough food. And sometimes they didn't think they had enough food for their own children. And so Pete, his neighbors told him no, that he could not live there. And he told me the story, and I was horrified, but he smiled. And he said, well, you just go to the next house. He did not tell it with sentiment and tears. He went to the next house. He finally found a neighbor who told him he could live in the barn if he would help around the, the farm. And so he did. He grew up in a neighbor's barn uh, working for room and board uh, without school, uh, basically taking care of himself. And yet there was no uh, sentimentality in him to feel sorry for himself. He turned 17. He joined the military. This was would have been 19, uh, 1940. Uh, he joined the military. I think those years are pretty close. Um, and he, in the military, discovered that he was an amazing, an amazing shot uh, by military standards. By his standards, he had just grown up hunting for food to help feed himself and his mother. And um, he went into the military, and he was a tremendous uh, shot. He was so good. Uh, that his commanding officer sent him, this is the beginning of World War I, sent him to uh, what they had back then. They did not have sniper schools back then. They had marksman schools. And he went there and he broke all the rules of marksmanship. He shot with both eyes open. They tried to tell him not to do it. Uh, he just asked to compete against their best marksmen, and he beat all their best marksmen with both his eyes open. He had grown up doing it. Uh, then they sent him to mark to become an uh, instructor. And so the first two years of World War II, uh, he was an instructor in the Army's marksman school. And then he was deployed to Europe once uh, at right after D-Day, and he served uh, for uh, a year as a forward artillery, artillery observer and a uh, marksman uh, marching across Europe, crossing the Rhine, going into Germany. He didn't talk much about that. He talked a lot more about growing up without having anyone to take care of him. He told me stories of pranks that he would play uh, to entertain himself. My, my favorite story of he used to tell is how he, um, you know, he was growing up very different than most people, almost like a feral child. And um, he knew where people cut through a cemetery to have a shorter trip to town. And 
one of his favorite things to do was to get a torch and hide behind tombstones. And as they cut through this little country cemetery, he would start creeping out from behind the tombstones with a tor- the, the torch and they would start running the horses. He thought it was the funnest thing ever. Uh, here's the thing. That is a quite, shall we say, uh, sad uh, story. Uh, it breaks our hearts to think of a world so hard that a child uh, doesn't have a social type care worker to help them, a family to take them, uh, a neighbor to take them in. And um, I, it, there's a, a hardness to a world like that that I don't want to go back to. I, I want to I live in a softer world, uh, world than that. But here is the thing that's astonishing. So many people could have grown up like that with a hardness in their heart, but that was not Gene Honeycutt. He had a softness in his heart. He had no children of his own. He had um, no brothers that he was particularly close to. And when he met uh, my grandmother, he uh, loved her, and he began to love uh, the whole family. It was like he had more to give than he had ever thought. And he began to help and bless everything he touched. He began carrying me. This is before he was my grandfather, when he and my grandmother were dating. They dated a suspiciously long time. That's all I'm going to say about that. But the Lord be merciful uh, to those people who date a suspiciously long time. And that's funny. I don't care what y'all say. He started loving me immediately. He took me, drove me up to little carnivals. And he was the first person who ever gave me $5 that I remember of my own and said, go spend this on. I'll never forget. It was at an Apple Festival up in the mountains. Uh, I bought with it a little helicopter. You could do like that and it would fly off. Coolest thing ever. Uh, Memories of him loving me, loving my brother, uh, loving um, my mom and dad, being the grandfather I did not know I had missed. I am amazed to see, in spite of the hardness of his upbringing, just how much love he had to give. Uh, I don't want to be the kind of person uh, that is only capable of loving uh, out of what is left from the fragments of my heart. I want to be the kind of person that I say, God, my soul may be a bucket of glass, but if you will pour some epoxy onto it, we can make something beautiful out of it. My spirit may be malformed by church hurt. I may think too much about the ugly things people have said, but oh God, don't let the brokenness of me limit the love that you can flow through me, but let the love of God flow like a river through my life, through my ministry, through First Church pastoral team, through every leader and small group in First Church, next door where they're loving the children, where they're giving them the word of God. In every congregation we have, when the French African come together to worship you, let them feel the love of God in this house. When we pray early in the morning, Lord, let the love of God feel that room. When we meet on Monday night or Tuesday night or Wednesday night or Thursday night, let the love of God... I wish someone had raised their hands right now and say, let it start with me, oh God. Let it start. Don't let me lick my wounds and feel sorry for myself. Let me abound and overflow with your love. 
So real quick, let me take you back to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, this, this passage is often misunderstood, and it is often quoted to mean something it actually does not mean. Um, he talks about prophecies, but it's not about prophecies. It's about uh, something perfect that God is going to bring to completion in us. And even though prophecies end, that which is perfect is still being done. Uh, he talks about uh, unknown languages, and though they cease, it's not about unknown languages. It's about that which is perfect that God is bringing about in us. Uh, he talks about uh, all of these things, but then he makes it clear in verse number 10, uh, but what is perfect will someday appear, and what isn't perfect will then disappear. What are, what are you talking about, Paul? Paul is giving us an understanding about how uh, love is taking us somewhere. It is completing something within us. And then Paul tells the story of, of love by making you think about heaven. That which is perfect will come. That which is final will come. He makes you think and understand love by talking about heaven. That which is perfect. What is perfect will someday. Somebody say someday. That which is perfect will someday appear. I want you all to know that God is preparing a place for you. That where he is, there all of us may also be. And God is invested in getting you from here to there. You will not think you're worthy of heaven, but God is invested in bringing you from here to there. Uh, that which is perfect will someday appear. But notice what the apostle is doing. He is teaching you about heaven in terms of what? Love. And watch, he is teaching you about love in terms of what? Heaven. Uh, this hit me this week as I began to think about how the uh, apostle is striving to show us uh, that which is difficult to define in the manner of something we all in some way have experienced. I, I read a story here recently of a competitive Pictionary player. I didn't know that people did this, but there are people who play Pictionary at a competitive level and they actually win prizes. The difference is what they are trying to draw is a whole lot harder than what we are trying to draw. And one of these competitive Pictionary players told the story of them making a mistake and giving her a a word that actually wasn't uh, in the approved sets. They, they read the wrong word, and the word they read was difficult. And she said she sat there, pen in hand, and she's trying to show people difficult by drawing a picture. And she realized nobody got it, even though they were playing at a professional level. Uh, and then after time was up, the uh, moderator, whoever was, says, oh, that was a mistake. We read the back of the card instead of what we were trying to write. And what was on the back of the card was difficult. They were all rated. And so this player said, I sat there and I said to myself, there is no way I can draw a picture that makes you say difficult. Imagine the apostle trying to tell you what heaven is like. Come on now. 
He's never experienced anything like this. And so he begins to reach for expressions, language that you might have experienced. And so he begins to talk things like this. The streets were made of gold. Does he actually know what they're made of? Probably not. But he's never seen anything like this before. And it is, watch, difficult (laughs) to express. And so he starts trying to say, look, that which you value most is just going to be the stuff they walk on up there. Does anyone want to make it to heaven in this house? Does anyone want to go to that place where God has prepared for you? That's one of my favorite verbs in all the Bible because God spoke and the stars were formed. God spoke and the heavens were formed. God spoke and Yellowstone was formed. God spoke and the... The Pacific Ocean was formed. Hawaii was formed. Can I get a witness? What do you think God can do when he tries? What do you think God can do when he makes an effort? He said, I'm going to prepare. We're not just going to say, let there be. I'm going to think about what I'm doing for you. I'm going to show you love in action. I'm going to make an effort to show you. Oh, praise God. I'm more excited about than y'all. Y'all afraid you're going to die if you say amen too loud to that. If you'd start living right, you wouldn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul is trying to get you to understand something about heaven by making you think about love. And he's trying to get you to understand something about love by thinking about heaven. I want to, as I move quickly along, I want to first of all say this to all of you. Uh, Heaven and love are threaded together because they both represent a perfect thing. They both represent a completion. They both represent something that is beyond the reach of the human arm. They both represent something that is beyond the explanation of the human tongue. We can listen to our philosophers and our poets, our songwriters and our preachers, but we will not have an easy explanation of either love or heaven because both of them are aspirational and both of them show us something about God. And when we look at them, we are equally amazed at how much work we have to do to attain to either divine love or a perfect heaven. And so heaven and love are threaded together. And I want to bring out three points for you to consider. And I want to do it in the manner of this whole month of February, talking about what we learn about love, marriage, and relationships through spiritual teaching and divine understanding. Uh, Let me first give you this idea. Heaven Heaven is the tomorrow that changes today. I want to just give a shout out to all of our elders who have served the Lord for uh, your whole life or most of your life. I want to greet all of our elders and I want to commend all of our elders today. Church, we have the best elders here at First Church. Would you put your hands together and give all our elders some, uh, some affection here today? Um, I am, I'm so blessed by our elders because I see people who have lived their whole life for that day when the Lord takes them home. 
They have not waited until they thought they were going to die. They started serving God immediately. See, you see, heaven doesn't make sense. Um, live, well, let me say that differently because I think it will help understanding. Um, how you live to please God only makes sense if you... Uh, do it in context of making heaven your home. Your flesh doesn't want to live a godly life, but thinking about heaven makes it all make sense. Your flesh doesn't want to be disciplined in prayer. <laughs> the person who prays, their bed's warm in the morning too. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh, they don't want to pray either, but they live a certain way. Why? They want to make heaven their home. Heaven and living for heaven is this. Heaven is the tomorrow that changes today. I'm going to repent today because I want to make heaven my home. I'm going to turn away from the flesh. Somebody say today. Today, because I want to make heaven my home. I'm coming to an altar today because I want to make heaven my home. That's the power of heaven. You start living the promise now. You start receiving the gift now. You repent now because your tomorrow is a long tomorrow. So it is with love. If heaven is the tomorrow that changes today, love is the today that changes tomorrow. All right, let me talk a little bit. Let me talk about, about the love today that changes tomorrow. I know we have some teenagers in this uh, room, and I apologize in advance if I make any of you parents nervous. I know uh, some of you guys are really, um, uh, you know, seven-eighths Puritan, and uh, you're convinced that your children would never think about things like romantic love. No, your children talk in tongues from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. They would never think about dating and the like. But let me remind all of our dearly beloved Puritans in the house, uh, Satan did not invent sex. It is part of God's making humanity whole and how all of you, even the Puritans, got here. Just to be reminded, dearly beloved, uh, those birds and those bees, they were a buzzing and a flapping, and then you got here quite by miraculous intervention. All right, so the nervous people, I apologize in advance. Um, love is oftentimes, particularly romantic love, is experienced in its beginning um, as what we call lust. And lust, apologizing in advance, goes like this. I'm going to give you an, a, a real quick representation of how lust works, and it's going to make everybody nervous, and it's okay. I have got you. Just pray for me later uh, when I'm driving home and my wife tells me how I did today. Okay, pray for the future Nate riding home with his wife. She heard the 9 a.m. service. She was so embarrassed. She left and said, I've got to be next door in the 11 a.m. service. Not true. We're just having fun. Uh, so love goes like this. In the beginning, it goes like this. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and then it's like, hey. <laughs> and then it's like, Oh, honey, you are so beautiful. Oh, honey, you're so beautiful. <laughs> no, baby, you're so fine. No, baby, you're so fine. Is anybody nervous yet? Just take a breath. It's okay. 
It's okay. Okay. I, I got you. Uh, no, you're so beautiful. No, you're so beautiful. Baby, I just want to stand here beside you. Okay. You be careful. Pastor Nate's looking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you don't know Pastor Nate. He, 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 he understands. That's why his wife left in embarrassment. You see what I'm saying? It starts as lust. But let me tell you something about lust. Lust is a trick that your flesh plays on your soul. It is just as much of being human as anything else. It's not wrong in itself, but it is a river of fire that flows through your life and must be cooled by the river banks of commitment, lest it destroy everything you touch. So let me say it this way. Love is lots of lust plus lots of commitment. Anything less is a breaking of your soul and giving pieces of it away. The problem is, is when you broke your soul, you didn't know which pieces were the valuable ones. You'll know eventually because you'll find the person you want to spend your whole life with. And then you'll know which pieces are a humiliation to you, which pieces were a betrayal of you, and which pieces made you feeling used. You see, let me say it this way. I know uh, some of you are nervous, but just work with me here. It's February. You can straighten your children out on the way home. There is no free sex in the ways of the flesh. It is all a giving of some piece of yourself that makes you more or less whole. If you doubt that, I would show you how often the Bible uses romantic language to teach us spiritual truths. And so if what we are left with, hear me, is a love that makes no commitment to the future, then we are stuck in a world where it's not just sin lying to our souls, our flesh lies to our souls and makes us think it doesn't matter. Just live how you want to live. Do what you want to do. And it is okay because everybody's doing it. Let me speak to those who say everybody's doing it. Sure, but have you noticed everybody's broken so heaven is the tomorrow that changes today are you guys okay everybody uh, you all right okay uh, I hope you are because I'm moving on today uh, to heaven is the tomorrow that changes today. I live with this commitment now because I want to make heaven my home. I want to be the bride of Christ. I want to have a heart that knew him. You see? Now, love is the today that is only safe if I embrace tomorrow. And so both heaven teaches us about love and love teaches us about heaven. That is why both concepts are so difficult to explain. Both of them exist beyond the human reach. And the apostles, uh, uh, King Solomon and uh, the book of Psalms, the psalmists, and all and many other places we are taught spiritual truths excuse me, with the language of romantic love. Uh, the second lesson, and I'm, I'm moving quickly along. I'm going to be done in just a moment. The second lesson here 
of love teaching us about heaven and heaven teaching us about love is that heaven, like love, is not a static place. If your view of heaven is that we're going to sit on a cloud and play a harp, I want you to know you have fallen into a fairy tale and are no longer standing in a spiritual, spiritually accurate biblical representation. I want to refer you to 2 Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 7. Paul makes this point. He says that God has made us alive together in Christ and he has raised us up. Why? So that he might show the immeasurable, uh, uh, another translation, even perhaps a better translation of that word is the infinite. God has raised us up together that he might show the infinite riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought that what we're going to be doing in heaven is one thing? I want you to hear me today. It's not one thing. It is an infinite becoming, an infinite revelation of the goodness of God. There is purpose in heaven. A real quick primer for those of you who have forgotten. You think of your loved ones as being in heaven. Why do we say that? We say that because of the bosom of Abraham and the person who dies in faith held in the bosom of Abraham. Let me say it differently. They are held in the essence of God's nature and spirit. They are held in the embrace of God's very being. But the new heaven and earth is not Abraham's bosom, an embrace of spirit and being and embrace the new heaven and earth is a physical thing. God is going to remake creation and the new heaven and earth is a physical place where we are going to be and we are going to have place. We are going to have community and we are going to have purpose and work. If you will be faithful over a few things, the Lord says, I will make you ruler over many things. Heaven is not a type of endless zen out listening to massage music while you sniff incense. No. Heaven um, um, I can take about two minutes of that and I'm with the teenagers. Do you know the Wi-Fi password? Heaven is an eternal becoming. It is God revealing the unending, immeasurable, infinite grace and goodness of his presence. We are with him as he intended it from the beginning, before sin. Why do I say that? In the same manner, love is an endless becoming. You and I are always at risk to begin taking the person we said we would love forever, taking them for granted and losing all interest in what they think about things. We lose the ability to be interested in any manner and who are they are becoming. And then we wonder why some people wake up someday and we have nothing in common. That's because somewhere along the journey, this is some fine preaching. I'll just say amen to myself. Somewhere along the journey, you let you let boredom reign in your relationship and you start to be interested in that person. They did not stop becoming. They just stopped becoming with you. 
I want to say to all of you who are in a, uh, a, a relationship, you are married, you need to be committed to not just knowing who your spouse was, not just knowing who your spouse is, but know who your spouse is becoming. You need to care about what they think. Can I have a big amen? You need to care about what they're thinking about. You need to care about what is moving them just as heaven is an eternal becoming. So love is an eternal becoming. What did Adam and Eve have? They had a garden that God placed them in, and God said, I've given it to you, but you are going to tend it. If you don't tend it, it's not going to be beautiful. You tend the garden. So it is in marriage. You tend the garden that God has given you, and if you won't tend it, it's not going to be beautiful. And soon you're going to start living like a child looking over fences saying the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. The grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener wherever it's watered. And if your neighbor has greener grass than you do, it's because he or she is watering the grass over there and you're a lazy bum living in a dirt field. You can learn about heaven by thinking about love, and you can learn about love by thinking about heaven. We will experience the infinite, immeasurable riches of his grace. We will never fully understand that which is infinite. Though we live 10 quadrillion years, there will be a newness of becoming, so it is in love. I am committed to you speaking to my spouse, not you. That would be weird. Just imagine I'm speaking to my spouse. I am committed to you. I'm committed to who you are becoming. I'm committed to finding my best life in you. I'm committed to being made whole in you. And I am going to try to be that person that makes you whole. I want you to be proud of me. I want to know what makes you laugh. Come on, come on. Marilyn Monroe said, if you can make a woman laugh, you can make her do anything. All the young men did not hear that. (laughs) That has been stricken from the teenage record. And again, I say amen. Heaven, like love, is not static. It is not uh, unchanging experience. It is a becoming, a place by God in a garden of divine protection, a divine anointing, divine providence and provision, and it is so beautiful. It's the kind of place where the spirit world lives and also Adam and Eve. It's so good that everything God touches, he says, that's good, and that's good. And that's good. So it is with love. And lastly, musicians come. I'm trying to quit. Uh, Lastly, love releases that which is the ugliest in me. And it empowers that which is the most beautiful in me. All love has a healing quality to it. It has a wholeness to it that if you are not exploring, then you are misunderstanding the power of love and you're loving like a teenager, not a mature adult. 
because young love, I'm sorry for picking on teenagers. I was worse than you when I was your age, okay? Just so you know, I was worse than you. It's just by grace that I'm saved. I was worse than you. I'm not being ugly to you. But loving as a, a teenager is all about possession. It's all about possession. It's all about possession. You're like a seagull in finding Nemo. Mine. 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 As a boy, pretty girl, mine. Another pretty girl, mine. I'll take both. Mine. That's loving like a teenager. At some point, you put away childish things. It's almost like Paul put that in the middle of a discussion using heaven to teach us about love and using love to teach us about heaven. When I was a child, I thought like a child. So uh, love has a wholeness element to it that I am made whole because of you. I find my wholeness in you. This is why, and we're going to talk about this uh, Wednesday night in our Bible study uh, that we do. Um, and you parents who are nervous, just banish your children to another part of the house. Um, uh, this wholeness in you, uh, and I'm going to use the lyrics of that old song, um, all for you, body and soul. This wholeness where I am made complete in you and you are made complete in me. That's more than I am enough now and you can take it or leave it. That's more than that. That's not love. Oh, Lord Jesus. I, I, mm. Heaven, like love, releases the worst of me and empowers the best of me. Let me show you how heaven's going to do that. Heaven serves as a filter, and it filters out. This is Revelations 21. Uh, the cowards, the coward part of me, the coward part of the story of the church, the coward part of the story of the world, the faithless, the detestable, the murderer, the sexually immoral, the sorcerer, the idolaters, all liars. They're separated into that which is perishable, that which is burned. Burned with fire. It's separated. We call it the second death, the Bible said. Nothing unclean will ever enter into uh, this heavenly place. The detestable, the false. Um, so heaven, like love, is a manner of filtering out of me the selfishness of me and the self-obsession of me to serve another Lord Jesus, I, I so much am moved in my spirit by how Paul uses heaven to teach about love and love to teach about heaven. I pray today that somebody here today would be challenged not just to listen with an ear of enjoying or not enjoying, but they would listen with the ear to prompt them to action, to choose a changed life, to choose to live in spiritual covenant and covenant with their spouses if they are in a, uh, a marriage relationship. I pray that we would have a passion in us to see love as that which is gifted to us by God, but is then reflected. You first loved us and we love you back. And in so doing, it's almost as though you have prepared a place for us, a wholeness for us, a place of healing, a place of prosperity, a place of wholeness, a place of spiritual renewal. God, don't let us go through a routine of Sunday observance, observance and not be challenged.
by your spirit to serve you with our lives, to build relationships one with another and heaven to earth that we would be changed by. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to, I'm gonna end with this because I think this is a great instruction into the power of, of love and not just that, uh, wisdom into understanding uh, how love fails when we are unworthy of it. This is, uh, Ely Weasel uh, wrote this, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness. It is indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy. It is indifference. And the opposite of life is not death. It is indifference. God, save us from spiritual apathy and fill us with a passion to serve the Lord. Stand with me all across the house. As you stand there, would you lift your hands? Would you focus your mind and heart? Lord Jesus, we call upon you today. We want our souls to be drawn toward heaven's love. God, I pray that as a spiritual community here at First Church, I pray that we would be challenged and awakened in our heart and in our spirit. Uh, to the great opportunity that divine love has given us. Lord, I pray that our passion for you would be uh, worthy of that language used uh, by your own lips when you talked about the bridegroom and the bride. Uh, the zeal with which uh, young, young love is passionate, uh, hungry, longing one toward another, and the passion that a believer can have walking into your presence, lifting their hands, saying, oh God, I desire you above everything. I, I, church, I may not be preaching to everybody here today. I, I rarely am. It's very rare service where I hit everybody in my, in my sermon. But I, I'm preaching to some people here today who you can feel how the brokenness of your formative experiences and the brokenness of your church hurt has limited your spiritual potential. And I want to speak to you today in the name of the Lord. And I want to say, if you will let down the barriers to the love of God, you will find out that love is not just a sentiment in the service. Love is a spiritual becoming where day after day, he walks with you. He leads you. He takes your hand in his, in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed here today. If I've been preaching to you here today and you feel the call of God to a more passionate relationship with the Lord, I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand all across the house, those of you who have felt the unction and the urgency of the Spirit? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I pray for every hand that has been lifted in this house, oh God. Don't let us go through a, a ritual with you, but let us have a passionate hunger for you. Not just to know your law, but to know your heart. Not just to know your word, but to know your ways. Lord Jesus, we want to know you. We want to be spiritually intimate with you. We want to have a wholeness that comes about by us being brought together. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. We're going into our prayer service right now. If there's anyone, uh, if, if you're visiting with us and you need to leave at any time, we don't really do a formal dismissal. You're welcome at any time to slip out. But I want to encourage you to linger in the presence of the Lord. There's no point in having faith coming by hearing. 
if we don't give an opportunity to God to touch our heart. So we're going to have some of our pastors down here at the front. Uh, We may have some of our pastors move among you. Uh, We want to pray one for another. I want to invite all who will uh, to just, first of all, just relax. Uh, Just be okay in this moment. Let's let God move among us here in this house today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.